Welcome to this week's episode of Flight Suit Friday. I'm Nate Shakespeare, and with me is Sam Haffensteiner. hey This week we'll be uh, talking all about the Dash One. We've got special guests Ian Culver and uh, Caleb Peacock. Just a departed ATC, did a lot of work uh, their last couple of months here, especially finished up a significant revision to the Dash One. That's awesome, Shakes. And this one uh, closely mirrors the uh, the Echo Dash One that's uh, that's out or coming out here. So don't worry, folks, for those who are learning this new Dash One and then you're you're jumping into the Echo transition. Uh, we tried to make it as close as possible uh, as we go through. So uh, we're doing some shout outs here. Um, first off, big, big shout out to Atlantic City. Um, this this a couple couple weeks, months ago, but uh, the skipper, Captain O'Brien, uh, went out with Tyler Bittner and, and I had the pleasure to fly with Tyler on his AC procedures flight uh, when I did the stand visit. Um, 5.45 p.m., they went out to uh, rescue two people on a 68-foot scalloper that was taken on water. Uh, sank about 35 miles off the coast of Atlantic City, and, and uh, I believe they abandoned ship. Um, position that they got from Sector was about seven miles off from where the ship was. Uh, couldn't find them. Got a uh, updated position through uh, the Rescue 21 system and uh, got a good triangulation debris field. They found that, and then they they found those those people, and they picked them up. So uh, great work. Uh, nice work, Tyler. Uh, I hope it was you on the controls there. hope the, the skipper gave you the opportunity to hoist. I'm sure he did, and uh, uh, great job, uh, skipper, up there at Atlantic City. Yeah, pretty awesome to see the skipper out there standing duty in the trenches or in COVID. It's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Love to see it. Another uh, Atlantic City shout-out. We got uh, Amanda Montour taking some cadets out for their uh, summer flights. Uh, love to see that. And a pretty awesome opportunity. I think the Coast Guard's been picking up on this a little bit, but had an opportunity to do an all-female flight crew. So I uh, love to see that and Coast Guard championing uh, all sorts of folks. Yeah, yeah. We're excited to uh, see some of the new uh, new pilots out there. We're going over to uh, Pensacola for the fleet fly-on here in the next uh, week. Um and uh, one other shout out there to uh, Air Station North Bend. Uh, they had a pretty intense rescue a couple months ago. It pulled a family from the bottom of a cliff. Um, if you guys have read uh, the new Talon, it's actually the, the photo on the front of the Talon covers from that case. So um, just, uh, you know, really working those vert surface muscles that, you know, exercising that training program and, and rescued, uh, rescued those folks. So uh, great job out there, North Bend. And before we get into our conversation with uh, Ian and Caleb today, Commander Sanborn's just going to talk about some of the lessons learned from rolling out the Echo Dash One and how we're incorporating that into the new Delta Dash One. The um, the Dash One, we really, to be honest, we we copied a lot of the the from the Delta Dash One from the Echo. So the Echo Dash One, they had NASA look at their checklist and 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 really do a good job of saying, hey, from a human factor standpoint, this doesn't make sense. You have the least amount of fuel you have the most briefing items. You talk way too much. You have way too many bullface steps. You know, this, this is not even an emergency. This is an abnormal procedure that the AFCS doesn't work. So why is that boldface? Why are you repeating things like maintain aircraft control, but you're saying flight control stabilize the aircraft? So we were able to, again, the Echo did a great job of cleaning the Dash 1 out. And so when I saw it, I, I just said, I don't want to wait three years for the fleet to get this. We need to get this now for the Delta. So I appreciate all your guys' support to look through the Delta Dash 1 and, and get rid of those redundancies, those things that don't make any sense for 35 years of air crew shoving different things into the garage, if you will. The, the Dash 1 is our garage. And we've we've put different things in there over, you know, hey, hey where's this at? I, I don't know. It's Oh, it's on this page. And 
And we've been able to pull out everything from the garage and figure out what needs to be in this Dash 1, what does not need to be in the Dash 1. And the Dash 1 is not a flying handbook. There's other things to do that. The Dash 1 is how you operate the H65. Here's how you start it. Here's how you shut it down. Here's what happens when things aren't normal. Here's what. Here's really some emergencies you should know. And so really, it's been fantastic. And so the checklist flow, I think, you know, if you look at wheels up landings, we cannot physically check the gear down anymore and still, you know, I mean, we're not making ourselves any safer. We're still missing the landing check. So if you don't do the landing checks, you miss all seven chances to check the gear down, you're still going to have a wheels up landing. And so why, why are you not doing the landing checks? Well, because they're so long, you have to check the gear down seven times. So I'll get that later when I have a free minute. Well, we all know fuel is tight. We don't have a free minute. So the goal is to eliminate and make these checklists actually matter. So they, you're going to check the gear down one time. Once on the, each. On the, yeah, once each. And, and, and in the pattern, you know, if I'm working the pattern with, with Shakespeare, I do not have to check the gear down three times as a safety pilot. Just make, again, the gear hasn't has, nothing's changed. Only Shakes has to check him before he lands because we're trying to reinforce that habit of prior to touchdown, yes, my gear is down. I'm configured for the next evolution, which is landing. You know, Trying to take away the paperwork drill. It's a cold unit and you're trying to grind out some catches and matches for mins. Open and close the door. Configure the aircraft as you want. You're just doing approaches to the water. We, we try to trim a bunch of that out to make it more more practical. Um, and it's going to take some time, for, I think, for people to get used to it. And, and, and again, just a message to the fleet. Um, you know, if you do flight control stabilize because the pitch channel kicks off, you're not wrong. That's fine. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's not a big deal. It's it's not wrong. It's just we're giving you a tool that makes it so it's better. So as you as you as you morph, I, I expect that the fleet is not going to instantly overnight learn all this stuff. And and again, I just don't want there to be that apprehension out there. I just want to give you these tools to make it better. All right, listeners, with the uh, revision. One of the Dash One hitting the presses, we thought it'd be a great idea to bring everybody in and, and listen to the architects who uh, brought about these changes to our flight manual. Today we have Lieutenant Commander Caleb Peacock. Uh, he's currently down at Air State Barankin. Maybe switching from the 65 to the 60 community, but he uh, he's one of our own. And uh, Lieutenant Commander Ian Culver, uh, currently at grad school at MIT. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thank you to be here. All right. Yeah. If you just, uh, let's see, Ian, you can shout out your name so we can associate your voice there real quick. Yeah, sure. Hello. I'm Ian Culver. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful flow. Grad school, full beard. Awesome. And Caleb? <laughs> yep. Caleb Peacock, all the way from Barinkin, standing outside because I don't have reception inside. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Yeah. So I'm sitting here next to, to Shakes. Great to, great to hear your voices and, and really happy to have you guys on the phone with us tonight. Um, really just want to kind of dive into the new dash one. Um, we've been, we've been rocking this dash one for a couple of years now. And, uh, I know you guys were the impetus for a lot of big change. So, um, Ian, starting with you, man, uh, what, what drove you to change the dash one and, and where'd this, where'd this start? Well, this started kind of right place, right time with the echo coming online there's a good opportunity to build upon some of their innovation that they're incorporating into the Echo and bring that into the Delta. Um, before we just uh, forged ahead, though, we wanted to study the science. So, Gil and I each led a working group. Uh, I kind of did the normal procedures in Section 2, and Caleb worked on Section 3, emergency procedures. And we first looked at what's the science say in terms of human performance, uh, designing the procedures, and then we kind of went from there. Nice. Tell me more. Like, what do you mean you guys formed some working groups? What What does that look like? 
so the working groups were uh, through our division. It was three or four, uh, you know, ATC FEs in each, and we kind of divided and conquered through working with different platforms, different industries, even. Like, I work heavily actually with uh, C 130s and also airlines, uh, studied some of how they operate. And Caleb worked with 60 division and uh, a bunch of other important, you know, industries that had a lot of spillover that would help us out. Nice. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll do a quick backtrack, uh, guys, just so people know who we're talking with today. I'm, I, I mentioned where you guys are at right now, but Ian, give us uh, your background real quick. Sure. <clears throat> I was Coast Guard Academy, direct to flight school with Shake, and then I was in San Francisco for four years, did a lot of mountain flying and heavy, uh, heavy seas flying there, then a hit on for three years. And then I just finished up there with you guys at ATC for three years where I was uh, an ARs instructor as well. Nice. And how about you, Caleb? Yeah, background. Uh, we went to boot camp in 06, uh, got a bachelor's in science with aviation, um, then went out of OCS, did law enforcement for a few years in the Coast Guard before going to flight school, then Traverse City, Mobile, and Mobile, uh, Stano, uh, Fleet Dano, CRM instructor, and MOI, um, uh, MOI instructor there as well. Awesome. Impressive credentials. Yeah, very fantastic credentials. Um, great. Well, so we kind of know why we started this. Um, and did you talk to any outside agencies that kind of told you WTF Coast Guard, what's going on with your, with your Dash 1? <laughs> a good question, Sam. Um, before I got to ATC, uh, one of the NASA flight surgeons and PhD flew along on a Delta flight and was pretty shocked at how much we talked, how much we briefed, how just we were over-procedualized to an extent I don't think he'd ever seen before. Uh, he wrote a, a report about it, and I think it, it just captured a lot of the feelings that most 65 pilots had had along. Uh, a long, long time, and I mean, when you look at what has been published since, I don't know, 1991, about how we should be operating in, you know, aviation industry, uh, the science supports not being over-proceduralized and trying to minimize, I guess, the interruptions to the human while you're in these environments. I'm not supposed to talk the whole lap around the pattern when I'm doing an RT1? Uh, you are shaked because no one knows what you're thinking. Oh, but okay. everyone else is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for our listeners out there, we we can get that name of that report to you too, so you can you can check that out. Um Yeah, I think, yeah. think C G nine paid for that as part of like the Echo program, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the interesting things if you want to dive into these changes is um the, the NASA writes these like how to documents and and it discusses what these procedures will do to you if you don't follow these important guidelines. So one of the things that I've discussed over proceduralization already, it just encourages non-compliance and leads to resentment and resignation from following procedures. I mean, I think most 65 pilots can think of times where they kind of just didn't follow a checklist to the exact way or change the step here or did it slightly differently than the procedure said. And what we tried to do with this Dash 1 update was capture all of those and re 
I guess, format these procedures so that they were human friendly and actually were more focused on, on completing the task and achieving mission success. Oh, so NASA actually and, has rubrics on how to write procedures? It does. Believe it or not, it's called designing flight deck procedures. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it makes sense. They're really smart people over there. Wow. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, uh, one of the... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, one of the uh, really interesting parts about it is they ask for five questions. They, they pretty much said, here's five questions you need to ask yourself when you're looking at any of these procedures, one of which is, what are you trying to accomplish? So, is a takeoff check. What are you supposed to do for that? Well, a takeoff check should prepare the aircraft to take off. Under what conditions should this procedure be executed? And it says to consider physical, cognitive, or cultural environment. So physical would be, are you on the ground? Are you in the air? Are you in IMC conditions, nighttime? Cognitive would be, how stressed are you likely to be? What type of cognitive awareness can we afford the human in this environment? And then the cultural environment is obvious. 65 has different cultures, and there's different AORs have different cultures, so all that needs to be considered. Third question is, who is responsible for executing each step of the procedure? And when we looked at this one, we actually made it looser. So the pilot monitoring can execute more steps than previously, um, but we did mandate that certain steps, like the four touchdown call out for wheels down, shall be the pilot flying, trying to reinforce the pattern of person at the control making that call out. Fourth question was, how in detail should the procedure be performed? And we added some steps and tried to make sure that we can, we explain the procedure in more detail. And the fifth question is, how do you confirm a procedure has been accomplished? And this one really was a section three heavy question. We had a lot of procedures that we didn't really confirm that well. And we developed actually a new protocol for confirming engines off, confirming different things. Um, in those procedures to help, con- you know, make sure that we've accomplished everything we want to accomplish. And I worked and because on, these okay. procedures, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I worked on, uh, with you on some of this stuff. So you applied these uh, five questions to every item on every checklist, right? Every checklist, every procedure. Um, if you'll, you'll see the new dash one has slope landing, uh, elevated pad pinnacles, all that stuff is now in procedure format. So we took what used to be paragraphs discussion into a procedure to try to give an air crew something to pull out from the blue book and reference in a procedure format versus just reading a paragraph aloud and hoping it goes well. So hopefully truly not change just for change's sake, trying to do this a little, little smarter and more scientific. Yeah. I mean, Commander Stanborn has a good thing. It goes with it. For 30 years, we've been putting stuff in the garage and just stuffing the dashboard our metaphorical garage with stuff. And for 30 years, no one's ever taken the time. Pull it all out, see what we want to keep, see what's useful, see what's not, and then reorganize the garage. And so that's essentially what we did with this, uh, with these changes. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, going, I'll, I'll jump to you, Caleb, with, uh, with section three, are we gaining more EPs or are we finally cutting down on the number of the EPs that the 65 has? Yeah, so the big thing for us was reduce, reduce, reduce. Uh, this all piggybacks on uh, what uh, Ian Zari talked about with over-proceduralization and everything like that. The big uh, thing that we used was threat error management. This is not a new thing. 
Uh, it's been around since 1994 when the airlines brought this concept in there. They know that the pilots, they know that the crewmen are going to make mistakes. So how do we fix that? How do we fix those threats and those errors? Well, it's how we manage those errors. So that's what those principles that we use. Uh, talking about the working groups, one of my big goals with the working group was not to have a bunch of 65 pilots around the table and say, hey, what do you not like about this EP? Well, let's get rid of the steps, uh, I don't know, 1 through 11. That sounds great to me. Sounds good to you, yeah. So what we did was we diversified our working groups with ECAs, with uh, people with uh, different airframes, whether it be a 60, a 144. Uh, I got the chance to go to Navy Test Pilot School, and I pinged off of my contacts there in the Marines. I pinged off my contacts in the Navy. Hey, how do y'all do this in the Army? So on and so forth. And when we recommend these changes, we vetted it through several, several different layers so that it's not just knee-jerk reactions. So that was kind of the thought process behind the EP change. And so once again, our whole goal was reduced. And why was it to reduce? Because right now we stand at um, 127 emergency procedures in the Delta. And out of those 127 procedures, we have 671 steps for our pilots and crew members to execute. And we have 79, 79 of those 127 EPs are boldface, which requires us to know 247 boldface steps. So that's a lot of information for our people to have to recall and to be able to execute during a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And we know we went to the science of, hey, how do people uh, act and respond under stress? And it's not our best performance peak. So that was our whole goal. And to answer your question, we were able to reduce our boldface EPs by 40%. Wow. We were able to reduce our boldface steps by 37%. That's, in, so, that's that's incredible. I, I know that uh, from my flying flying time, um, you, you start going through an EP and you and you have the flight mech open the red book and start reading through it, and it's so long and there's so much to read that it's kind of hard sometimes to retain everything while you're still flying. And you know sometimes that that stuff I, goes past your head, right? Absolutely, and that, and why why is that, Sam? And it's how it's written, right? That goes back to what Ian was just talking about. Uh, for instance, if you get into a swimmer EP, all of a sudden we have paragraphs about swimmer operations and it gives you a couple recommendations. It gives you a couple recommendations here and there. And we went back to him and said, Hey, if this is a critical phase emergency, we should be doing things that are related to that instead of reading paragraphs right now. So that's what we did. We took out paragraphs of uh, with the IMC and the unusual and put them into applicable sections in the dash one where we actually talk about that stuff and we re- really tried to refocus that red book into emergency procedures. We lost our very first battle. Our very first battle was to uh, actually break the red book even further apart into emergency procedures and then abnormal procedures. Emergency procedures being that stuff that needs to have critical actions taken immediately, whereas abnormal uh, procedures are things that are wrong but not critical items, right? Mm-hmm. But at that, and that was a come that came from a recommendation from NASA, but that was just a step too far in the Coast Guard at this point. So hopefully we'll get there eventually, um, but at this point that's where we're at right now. But still, overall forty percent reduction of emergency procedures, I think, is a big win for the uh, sixty-five community. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure people will be excited to come back to the peak course with uh, a little less, 
little less expectation for rote knowledge and more for practical application of uh, emergencies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the other things I think that goes into what you were just talking about too, uh, Sam, uh, with these EPs, what we tried to accomplish was we tried to combine EPs where we could, right? So, uh, for example, you have a trim failure. Was it a manual trim failure, automatic trim failure? I don't know what trim failure is. Something's wrong with my trim, right? But at the way the red book's written right now, you could read through the whole automatic trim failure and be like, oh, no, that wasn't it. Mm -hmm. All right, let's flip the page and go to manual trim. So instead, uh, we combine those things. So you read the symptoms and go, oh, this is what we have. So it's an automatic trim failure. Devices having to flip pages and read different uh, procedures. We combine those things. We're able with flight director to trim. Yeah, and so forth. Sounds like that'll streamline it for the uh, flight mech or rescue swimmer who's flipping through the red book in the back as well. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Uh, I mean, just for everybody out there, flight control stabilized aircraft, uh, are we still doing that? <laughs> Negative. Okay. I'm gone. Uh, yeah, we got rid of uh, continued flight as appropriate. That's no longer uh, in the, uh, the uh, red book. Um, Basically, we have this page in the very front of the red book. I don't know if you're aware that it's there right now, but it says you have an overriding consideration with any emergency procedure and that's aircraft maintain control, mm -hmm. analyze situation, and take appropriate action. We use those three steps to completely get rid of flight control, stabilize aircraft because that's redundant. That's what we're already doing because of the overarching. Uh, the same with the uh, complete the big four. Complete the big four, those are still memory items and what we stated was, hey, anytime you have an emergency procedure dealing with the engines, you shall complete the big four. Mm -hmm. So instead of instead of us completing the big four and then saying, oh, we had a flame out, let's complete the big four. Well, we've already done that. And the last step of big four is analyze the situation. So instead of just copying over ourselves, we just stated that at the very beginning of the engine section. Yeah, one of the questions you guys didn't mess, uh, mention, but I remember we talked about was uh, what would happen if we removed this step? Like just as a question, as you're doing EPs and procedures, uh, does Correct. it does it really have a cost, or are we uh, is this step just in here because someone decided it should? Like you're talking about the garage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, my favorite one, my ultimate favorite one with that was start every key switch on our on our first checklist before starting engine. Whether or not this switch was on or off was irrelevant to the entire checklist. But for some reason that had been on our checklist for, I don't know, since the Bravo model. Yeah, I've definitely and done some of those starts. Yeah, you've done some of those starts. You make sure the button is off and then you switch checklist to the blue book and then you turn it on. So yeah, just a total yeah. 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 It's, uh, it, it's interesting when you talk about like section three, right? So when you start diving into some of this stuff, like the, uh, the layers of the onion come off, right? Uh, the, Ian just mentioned that this stuff goes back to the Bravo, right? That's what we started discovering. Like when we go to fix a, pro a step in one of the EPs, we all of a sudden look back in the other sections in the dash and we're like, oh, wow, it's mislabeled here. It's mislabeled here. Now we go to the warning section. It's like, oh, wow, this is a carryover from the Bravo. So you have all these layers. So when you talk about, well, how many changes did you make to the dash one? It's like, well, it's 2000 plus changes. Well, that all those changes just kind of compiled on one another because what we tried to do was we tried to standardize the whole voice throughout the dash one to make it sound like the same people wrote it. Uh, and we tried to use all the same terms throughout the dash one uh, to get rid of that because we got places where, and the same button is called three different things. Sometimes it's called a switch. Sometimes it's called a button. Sometimes it's called a filter and switch button. You know, so it's like, oh, what we tried to do is just 
make sure it was standardized throughout the whole dash one, mm-hmm. which is what brings about a lot of these changes. Caleb, you make ATC sound like an awesome place to work. <laughs> Just like we are the most Fantastic. fun all day. Oh, man. So, so here I am, uh, you know, I'm taking my stand test, uh, ATCs in town and my hand is cramping up while I'm trying to write down the auto rotation procedures. Is that going to be, uh, uh, is that going to be the same? Am I going to be trying to voice all that, uh, jargon and, and try and write that stuff down? Uh, no, you're not. We, uh, we were able to eliminate the math. No more, uh, no more math for all of us uh, knuckle draggers out there. I like it. Um, so, so what we've done with the uh, auto rotation procedure is we said, hey, what, what works successfully for the Navy when we taught all these people how to fly helicopters for the Navy? And what does the Army do? What does the 60 do? What can we do better? And so what we've been able to reduce it to is in our air seat, turn, flare, collective, autocomplete. So go back to the basics, maintaining that in our maintaining that airspeed, get to where you need to be, flare, and then cushion your landing. Uh, we, we did this over and over. We, like it, uh, that you're just talking about, have a ton of fun at ATC. I mean, we're in the simulator every day, right? So we see these students, ourselves, go through this. What are we doing? What works successfully? What's in our and in its airspeed? It's not me trying to figure out what the wind is and the downwind and then half of that mm-hmm. and then putting the nose up, you know, so... Uh, yeah, we've been able to streamline the auto and it saves, uh, saves you writing it down on the piece of paper as well. Just nice. another benefit. Latitude in our ball for everybody out there. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the other things I think you probably wanted to touch on, I told you we got rid of a uh, continue fly as appropriate. Uh, so that kind of begs the question, okay, so that's gone. So now what are we looking at? And we revamped uh, our landing criteria the one that's uh, brought up a lot of interest is the abort mission, right? Um, So what we did was we redefined the abort mission. Uh, The term abort mission means that the aircraft shall not proceed on its assigned mission and allows for return to desired recovery base. Mm -hmm. What we went further down to state was abort mission is not a landing criteria. The intent of the abort mission is to allow the crew to return to the desired recovery base. The malfunction is minor enough to allow for continued flight. So what we did was we went and said, hey, what did the engineers say about this malfunction? And they, they state that the aircraft can return to its desired recovery base. But what did we see was happening in the fleet? We saw people not being necessarily conservative. And instead of touching down when they're 10 feet above the runway because they're afraid, oh, no, if we touch down, we're done. We're going to shut down. We're going to call EO. We're going to call ops to fly this aircraft back home. I don't want to troubleshoot um, this on so, deck. If I stay in the pattern, then I'm not stuck here. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So people are, we were saying, wait, why are we doing this? We should be conservative. We should be being wise with how we're treating this uh, asset instead of uh, putting our people at risk. Uh, so that's why we clearly define that uh, abort mission in there is not a landing criteria. So if you land and you have an abort mission, you could stay there if you want, but uh, you you could also elect to come back. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, like, and that, and that's pretty prevalent here at ATC too. You know, flying uh, with the students out here, uh, Captain Holzer as a skipper. You know, we, we're cleared to. You know, we got an abort mission criteria land at St. Elmo Airport. You can take back off, and you can bring that aircraft home. And and we're we're really appreciative of you guys pushing that out to the fleet and and then giving empowering those people those those pilots out there to be able to make that decision whether it's safe to continue. Absolutely, it it, it states that 
hey, I'm not allowed to lift off in five five miles and land, but you can fly another 90 nautical miles just fine with it, you know? So I was just trying to put some um, more of the common sense, I think, into it with decision-making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to shift some of these conversations uh, to, like, that AC uh, aircraft commander board rather than uh, trying to, like, sea lawyer it in the, in the aircraft to be able to come home or land or whatever. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you said that you got rid of the continue fly as appropriate. Does that mean uh, there's just some open ended EPs or? Nope. They're, uh, they're not open ended EPs. Uh, what happens is that there's, uh, if you have an emergency that warrants a landing criteria, one will be given to you. If you have an EP that does not have, does not warrant a landing criteria, you have the abort mission. Now, if you have an EP that doesn't have the landing criteria or board missions, then you continue operations. Got if it. the aircraft was degraded in such a state, then guess what? You would have a landing criteria or you'd have an abort mission. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, that super makes sense. It's not that we forgot to put it in there. You, you can just keep working. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good stuff. Um, back to you, Ian. I know you worked on uh, sections one and two of the dash one. Um, I know for, for me the instrument approach brief is something that it's hard to pick out the, like the real highlights of whatever we're about to go do. Have you changed uh, some of the briefs that we have specifically the instrument approach brief or, or anything else? Yes, ma'am. Actually the instrument approach brief was kind of what spurred a lot of this in the very beginning. There was a mishap up in Burlington, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, where a UPS, did a perfectly good brief and then on their approach crashed straight into the terrain um, killing themselves and a bunch of PhDs did a study of what briefs should look like and how they should be uh, structured and had some really good insight so we incorporated that all into uh, our new brief which is dramatically shorter it's much more to the point Um, it leaves you with a feeling of action and it should be about 40 seconds or less is the whole purpose here. We don't want you just to read random numbers. We want you to say important numbers so those numbers actually stick and that your crewmen can actually then challenge you on what you told them. So I I think all of us have been in situations where we do a brief and then your crewmen ask, what are we coming down to? And as soon as they ask that, you did it wrong. Mm -hmm. You know that that was way too much information. You probably said too many numbers and you confused it. So we cut it way down to the very the basics. Um, we also included a silent setup guide, and this goes also for the letdown checklist. Um, and the, the set, silent setup guide is just something that's put there so that if the human's in a stress condition, whether it's nighttime, IMC, fuel requirements, whatever it is that's stressing you out excessively, you can follow a quick four-step uh, setup guide that will keep you on the right track, make sure you don't miss a step so when you hit that final approach fix um, or the missed approach point, you don't have to, you know, do a go around or get confused based on the setup there. So mm-hmm. we've tried to cater to those environments um, for the instrument approach setup. So just like the setup guide now, but you have it published, you said? So like, yep, it's on your tripod. Um, it will be the first four steps. And we actually cut the setup guide and, and brief combined down so much. It took a less space than the old brief. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so don't don't read all the step downs to me, Sam. Next time we're out, you just I'm want to know them. the yeah M D A D H whatever. Oh yeah, I'm reading them. Habit, Absolutely. habit pattern over here. 
I'm just excited not to check the gear down 17 times before we go to land. That, that's probably one of the big changes, right, Ian? It is. Uh, that, that's a huge change. We've gone from a triple check to a double check um, on the landing hover check. Uh, and quickly, though, for the, the letdown uh, checklist, I, I misspoke when I said that there's still a letdown checklist because that is now gone. And it is just a letdown setup guide and a very short brief. Similar to the engine approach brief, there's no whole checking, you know, the cockpit side to side and doing an overly excessive uh, checklist. Now you'll be able to brief it in quick succession. One of the other big wins for this was the invention of a pattern checklist. And we're calling it a pattern checklist instead of abbreviated checklist. Help with confusion about what you're abbreviating or not. And we're separating it into a specific pattern checklist and the beauty of this is now when you're on a vfr traffic pattern the only things you would say if you don't change the configuration of your landing gear your nose gear lock or your parking brake just those three things the only things you would say are takeoff checks and our switch center shrimp panel and prior to touchdown the pilot flying has to say wheels confirmed down that is it no more of the of the 200 foot checks or many other checks in the pattern if you haven't changed those things. Yeah, I would imagine On that. The, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I'd imagine it'd be kind of a quiet cockpit now. I mean, we talk so much in the pattern with all those checks. When we were testing this, uh, I flew quite a bit with these, thankfully, 7-Eleven allowed us to test these. And the most of the pilots I flew with got so uncomfortable with how quiet it was that they had to talk. They just said the checklist anyways because they felt like they were doing something wrong. The beauty of it is, is they were not. Uh-huh. And it's definitely going to be a very big culture change for the 65. Yeah. But that just frees up all that. When they learn how this works and how this flows, that's going to free up all that time to pay that extra attention instead of just being talking for talking's sake. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, you really dive into it. Um, so... We're obviously making these changes in the Delta side, and we're we're mid transition to the uh, to the Echo model. Um, what what do we got to look forward to? Are we keeping the changes you guys made? Are we going to have a whole new set of changes when we swap over to the new Echo Dash one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if you want to go. Yeah, speaking on the uh, on the EPs and some of the procedures, one of the big initiative was that the Delta was transitioning to the Echo. So it's coming. We've already seen the Houston transition. We've seen Miami and Port Angeles. I mean, the, the people, the 65 pilots are getting transitioned to this ECHO. So one of the reasons why we jumped on board with the ECHO to begin with was to streamline that transition. One, to catch back up with the standard industry um, and to put the science into practice instead of carrying around um, all the garage items that we talked about earlier for the last 35 years. But the uh, 65 is changing, so now is the time to make these changes. That way, that transition, which is a three-week course, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. uh, for the echo transition, correct? Yeah. Yep. So this way, the, the 65 pilots will already have these memorized and then filled. So when they transition to the echo, it will be a quicker and a smoother transition uh, for not only them, but for the air station. Uh, so it won't be so dramatic. Nice. So we are changing to the new uh, Rev 1 dash 1 and then the Echo back to back, but you're saying the Rev 1 to the Echo should be pretty similar. Absolutely. That's awesome. 
That's great stuff. Yeah. Um, any other highlights that you guys have that you wanted to talk about? I mean, we kind of hit chapters uh, one, two, and three, but um, I'll open. Yeah, section two has uh, section two has a few more extras if you want to go into. Yeah, that. yeah. Let's dive into it. Okay, so I can just run off a few good ones here for the normal takeoffs and landings. We got rid of the five to seven hundred feet uh, ninety position. Mm-hmm. We got rid of the entire word no hover, so it's now a FOD takeoff, an obstacle takeoff, or a FOD landing. Nice. Uh, we developed some novel procedures that didn't exist, like how to hook up your external power and how to disconnect it. Slow oh, planning were only aircraft before. <laughs> yeah. You mean I don't have to yeah. have like now a DC bus short every out. time I unplug from external power? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. We took uh, best practices from HACS and AHARC and put them into Section 2 for confined area using a SWEEP acronym that is taught at all of these um, uh, schools. Yeah, what's we that? modernized ship fuel procedures, the high wind procedures, the hyper procedures, the hot gas procedures. One of my favorites is the hot gas procedure now includes a CDU parameter update at the very end so you don't take off of the ship or take off on a case with your bingo still at 200 pounds mm-hmm. and miscalculate your fuel and so on. Yeah, I'm sure that's caught a lot of pilots out there. Yeah. Yeah, we also added a sheer discussion um, into the rest of summer operations section. And, and this was a cultural norm. The 65 community was talking about shear, but now we added it into a specific section so that people can reference this when they're first learning um, about summer operations. Oh, nice. So we're, we're learning without, it's a, it's less like folklore and more um, actual, we have something to point the the first pilots and co-pilots to. Exactly. This has all been coordinated with uh, the swimmer stand team in 7-Eleven so that it's, you know, a tried and true culture shift towards what we actually want stated. And that brings me to another big win Caleb and I had, which is we standardized most of the uh, hoist and swimmer EPs so that if you transition as a flight mech from 65 to 60 or vice versa, it should be very, very close to the same. If you're a swimmer, they're almost verbatim. Wow. And that will help with these dual quality swimmers, whether they're going to AHARs or on a surge operation, that their uh, egress, their lost swimmer, all that kind of stuff will be almost verbatim the same. But And that brings up an interesting point, right? Because if you go to the dunker in Elizabeth City, the Coast Guard uh, swimmers there make you do a different egress. And it's like, well, why are we, is one egress better than another egress? Why are they doing it a certain way in the 60 vices of the 65? Mm-hmm. So getting everybody on the same page and standardizing that was, I think, a huge win for the fleet. Yeah, that's awesome. Good stuff. One of my other favorite changes was uh, we got rid of the floats armed above 90 knots limit, which has always driven me crazy. So it's now just. <laughs> The limit is now the float inflated above 90 knots, and we are saying it is not recommended to have them armed above 90 knots, but there's this is one of those uh, normalization of deviance where we were exceeding uh, a published limit and not doing anything about it. Um, so now we change the limit. So you're saying that nothing will happen to the helicopter if my floats are armed and <laughs> I go through 90 knots? It's amazing, I right, think, Sam? That's, that's, I think we all know the answer to that one, wow, Sam. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible stuff. And but well, I mean this is huge, guys. Uh, we've been trying to bring this out to the rest of the uh, the fleet here, and uh, 
I know we're still kind of moving moving towards actually getting it out. I th- I'm hopeful that it's coming out in the next month or two. All all the signatures are on the document. It's just uh, I think we got a couple print issues. Maybe I don't know. You got any other follow on questions, Shakes? I don't think so. Yeah, I think the uh, we're we're sitting at Seven Eleven approval for all the different uh, different procedures and changes, and uh, just waiting for I think final signature by uh, Captain Reedland and and get these things promulgated. Yeah. Um, big, big thank you guys, uh, for taking this endeavor on when you guys were here at ATC and, and bringing these changes to the fleet and, uh, a reminder to our fleet pilots out there that we really, uh, appreciate your feedback. Um, changes to the dash one never stop, you know, anything that we put in there, uh, that you, we can change and, uh, if there's better ways to do it and things that we've messed up, please, please, please let us know, uh, and give us that feedback. Um, Ian and Caleb, any, uh, parting shots for the, the interview? Yeah, uh, I would say that we as humans don't like change, so we can kind of want to resist that change. Uh, we had a lot of changes in the Dash 1 Rev, but just remember, a lot of that was reduction, getting things out, cleaning things up, so it wasn't adding things in there necessarily as much as it was getting rid of things that were not pertinent. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely, and it's important to understand too that if you default to what you learned before the Rev One, that's okay, and and that was safe enough then. So we're not trying to say that what you did before was wrong. We're trying to kind of move the generation of sixty-five pilots towards more modernized thinking and allow the human a little bit more awareness time versus just being proceduralized. Spoken like a. Uh, uh grad school uh, student right there. That was, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for all your guys' hard work while you were at ATC. Uh, now that you're gone, we're just goofing off and making podcasts. So it's great. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'll stuff. keep it up. I love it. Oh yeah. All right, guys, that, uh, that wraps our interview for, uh, for this evening. We really appreciate your time guys and uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you guys soon. Thanks, thanks so much. It's an honor to be here guys. Yeah.